The following episode includes talk of alleged abuse of heinous nature. The topic may be difficult to listen to, and listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Tales of Northern Michigan's Past. I'm your host, as always, Christopher Struble. Recently on this podcast, after just a small break for a smile with author and historian Mary Jane Doerr, we continued this season's theme of true crime with an episode about disgraced celebrity financier Jeffrey Epstein's ties to Northern Michigan. Well, Jeffrey wasn't the first sociopathic person to allegedly commit sexual crimes with underage teens in Northern Michigan, and unfortunately, he probably won't be the last. In the 1960s, when crimes of this nature were far less likely to be reported, let alone to be prosecuted, a man named Francis D. Sheldon from Gross Point, Michigan, took his monstrous vices and axed against humanity to a whole new level. There are numerous articles, news stories, podcasts, and YouTube videos detailing the events we are going to touch on today, all of which seem to tell the same story and come to the same conclusions about Sheldon. Yet this part of Michigan's past seems to be mostly forgotten, or maybe it's just too painful to remember. I have to admit, as I was researching and preparing for this episode, I wasn't sure if I would be able to relay the very disturbing details that I was uncovering. But as history tends to repeat itself, I feel it's better to remind ourselves once in a while of what human beings, unfortunately, are capable of, especially under various and sometimes mitigating circumstances. In order to try to be further aware of the dangers that surround us daily, so we can hopefully be more protective of one another, especially our children. Francis Sheldon, a financially wealthy and single male, one of many similarities he'll share with Epstein, was also Michigan royalty in a sense. His Michigan ancestry dates back to Russell Alger, who was the 20th governor of Michigan among his many achievements. And Sheldon made a name for himself as well, at least during the beginning of his adult life. He accumulated a vast amount of wealth through business dealings in real estate and oil. For a while, he was on the board of directors at the esteemed Cranbrook Institute in Southern Michigan. He gave away tons of money to charities and nonprofits, all of which he did, as would later be uncovered, only to serve the most important of his priorities in life, the accumulation and retention of his wealth, and to enable and sustain his sexually deviant behavior and practices. In 1975, he founded his own nonprofit named Brother Paul's Nature Camp. Brother Paul's camp was located on North Fox Island. Sheldon had purchased the private island with its own private airstrip located just west of Charlevoix in northern Lake Michigan in 1960 for $20,000 which was more than five times the price that the state of Michigan had offered the previous owner for the private secluded island. Sheldon's right-hand man in the plot they were scheming was a man named Gerald Richards. Richards was a Catholic school gym teacher and wannabe politician. The primary task he served for Brother Paul's was arranging for young boys to be brought to the island on Sheldon's private plane. Yet another similarity with Epstein who used his private jet, named the Lolita Express, to transfer victims to his own private island where they were allegedly also abused. 
Sheldon and Richards, along with co-conspirators Dyer Grossman, a wealthy science teacher and former Boy Scout Scoutmaster, a position that served him and the Foundation well for the nefarious events that were soon to follow, and Malcolm McConaughey, who preferred to go by his alias, Adam Starchild. Starchild, a convicted felon whose specialty was laundering and hiding money in offshore shell accounts, which made him another very valuable asset to the Foundation and its true agenda. These derelict associates formed the main operating core of the nonprofit Brother Paul's that Sheldon had formed, which was supposed to help underprivileged boys by offering them summers filled with activities, such as camping, swimming, and hiking, while being surrounded by nature at a summer camp in the middle of beautiful Lake Michigan. Adventures their families could never have afforded to provide for them without the camp's existence. However, in reality, what the boys experienced at the hands of Sheldon and his crew on Fox Island was nothing short of a nightmare right out of a horror novel. Initially, early recipients of Brother Paul's funded retreats to secluded island camp remember Sheldon coaxing them to bury him in the sand while he was naked and noticeably excited during the process. The young visitors also recall Sheldon was often naked within minutes of landing on the island, something that the unaware guests were naturally suspicious of. But their concerns were redirected with various techniques that the predators were quite apt at, such as simple magic tricks, constant reassurances that this is what men naturally do when there are no girls around in the woods. Basically, they were gaslighting the targeted youths in order to temporarily diffuse the awkward situations they were being subjected to almost immediately upon the arrival at the camp. There were substantiated accounts that Sheldon had surveillance cameras installed all over the island and throughout the camp to monitor and record the young male visitors and their predators alike. Epstein was also known to have kept video cameras throughout all of his properties where his alleged abuse against underage girls took place. Per reports, Almost immediately after the forming of Brother Paul's camp and foundation, Sheldon and his equally sick fringe set forth to fulfill their true agenda. As early as 1976, a Michigan State Police file indicates Sheldon had already been accused of molesting and attempting to rape a young male guest over the course of an entire weekend while visiting Fox Island. His island camp quickly transitioned from a secluded an inescapable private location where he and his close associates fulfilled their desires with acts of unlawful carnal knowledge against the young campers into a full-fledged hub for the illegal production of underage pornographic movies that were traded and sold internationally. And it wasn't long before Sheldon was considered a major key player within a very expansive network of powerful pedophilic men in Michigan and far, far beyond. The Fox Island sex ring became very well known among the pedophilic elite that were drawn to Sheldon's operation, more so than he and the sick bastards at the top of the scam could have imagined when they formed the Brother Paul's Foundation. Brother Paul's soon had an estimated 300 donors to the charity, most of whom, if not all, were compensated for their contributions 
by receiving the illegal pornographic films that were being produced on the island with the unwilling underage male visitors, some as young as seven years old. The most powerful and wealthy of these contributors were also allegedly invited to the island where they were able to partake in the abusive acts themselves. Francis Sheldon also benefited from the fact that his nonprofit status served as a tax write-off, saving him countless dollars in taxes during its operation. Excessive taxes was something he was always complaining about. The accounts of the debaucherous acts committed against the unfortunate teen boys whom fell victim to the brother Paul's trap only escalated as previously described. Two young males recall being out hiking on the island and stated that they had heard the screams of the most unfortunate of those that fell victim to Sheldon and his fellow pedophiles as they were being abused. A very far cry from the official mission statement that Brother Paul's issued promising, quote, to provide kids with remedial tutoring, counseling, temporary lodging, boarding retreats, and emergency care for runaways, end quote. To this day, the conspiracy theories surrounding Sheldon are numerous, yet one that deserves mention are his connections to the Oakland County child killings. In 1976 and 1977, there were a series of abductions and killings of four teens in Oakland County, Michigan, located by Detroit, that are still considered unsolved. There were several disturbing similarities pertaining to the circumstances in which the use and the killings were treated prior to their deaths and the utter disregard for mankind that the Brother Paul's group shared. While Sheldon himself was never directly implicated or accused of the murders, the general consensus was the killer and or killers also had ties to the Fox Island group. One man in particular, Christopher Bush, a convicted sex offender and suspect in the killings, had known ties to Sheldon. His name can be found on ledgers of clients and supporters of Brother Paul's. Mercifully, Sheldon's sex empire imploded just as quickly as its meteoric rise. The beginnings of the end came with the arrest of Gerald Richards on molestation charges, just as Sheldon himself had been accused of around the same time. Richards, just prior to his arrest, called Sheldon and warned him of the situation. Richards pled guilty to first-degree criminal sexual conduct and soon rolled over on Sheldon, his former mentor, eventually telling the authorities all the sordid details of the sexual abuse and tax scams that Brother Paul's organization had been fronting. He also shared information about the underground community of pedophiles in Michigan and beyond, many of whom met and became associated through a pornographic magazine named Better Life Monthly that catered to pedophiles. After receiving the tip from Richards, Sheldon, just as his Ann Arbor home was being raided, facing second-degree sexual criminal charges, fled the country. Once again, like Epstein, Sheldon would never stand trial for his alleged crimes. Soon it was discovered his plane, the same plane that he used to bring both victims and his pedophilic friends to the island retreat, was missing from his private hangar in Ann Arbor. Most accounts of his disappearance indicate Sheldon escaped to Europe with millions of dollars that had been secured in a revocable trust held, ironically, in the Virgin Islands. Once in Europe, Sheldon is thought to have married a French woman and established citizenship. He is believed to have died in Amsterdam in 1996, 
where he had continued to pursue his perversions right up until his death. The final Michigan State Police report filed in regards to Sheldon states the warrant for his arrest was, quote, canceled as the suspect is deceased and cannot be prosecuted, but was obviously involved, end quote. This brings back memories of the case of one Joseph Scalera, who was the primary suspect in the infamous unsolved Goodhart Robeson murders. This is approximately our 10th episode of Tales of Northern Michigan's Past, and one person we haven't heard from yet is our own producer and engineer, Karen Nemec, who has her hand up at this moment. I think Karen has a question for me. Yes, so I have a question. So there are some rumors that he is not actually dead, but instead faked his death and is now still possibly maybe alive, but has a fake name or a new name and is still having his pedophilic ring, but in Europe. I would say this, at the age that he would be at now, he'd probably be the the grandfather of pedophiles, unfortunately. Yes, yes. That's what I, I was seeing was that he, as of today, he would be 83. Which does not exempt him from his vices that he harbored his whole life. And I think the the very loose string of actual documented evidence showing where he went when he left the United States and his time in Europe, I would, I would suspect that that official time of death was probably very arbitrary. Did he continue his vices? We know that he did up until a certain point, and my guess is he continued business as usual right up until whenever he did pass. My other question is, was anyone else found guilty or was anyone else caught like what happened to everyone else who was on fox island because it wasn't just him who was there so like what happened to anybody else that was connected to the island i think we're dealing with a bunch of very powerful and connected people because there's not a whole lot of evidence as to what happened to those people or any you know any criminal charges pressed against anyone other than than richard's Gossman, he 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 uh, he he walked free. He was able to evade any any uh, any litigation. But you think out of the three hundred people that were that were registered and known associates of Sheldon's, there would have been some further, you know, follow up, especially after after Sheldon's escape. But it seems like both that case and the Oakland child killer case kind of just sort of flipped into obscurity. And again, I think you know maybe because of the. Uh, the connections of the people that were involved, sort of like we've witnessed with Epstein. We've got some very powerful people that have been associated with him, but yet there doesn't seem to be any real real pursuit for uh, continued justice in those cases, other than Ghislaine Mac- Maxwell, uh, who was prosecuted, but everybody else seems to have walked. But I, I became very curious about that, too. They have 300 known contributors to the organization, and the hypothesis, again, and there must have been substantiating evidence, is the fact that their contributions were rewarded with illicit, illegal films. So why were they never pursued or brought to justice also? Well, thank you for letting me chime in. It's been fun. I'm not usually on this side of the microphone, so this is a different episode. Well, we'll try to include you more in future episodes. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Tales of Northern Michigan's Past. I've been your host, Christopher Struble, and we hope you join us as we continue the season's theme of true crime and end on a little bit more of a positive note with two groundbreaking cases that happened here in Northern Michigan that will set legal precedents worldwide. Also make sure to go on to Facebook and find us at Tales of Northern Michigan's Past. If you are enjoying this season of episodes, please feel free to send us a message. 
As Chris mentioned earlier, I am Karen Nemec, the producer of this podcast. So if you send a message, I will be the person that you will be conversing with. And I love talking to all of you guys and getting your opinion on episodes. 